Tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash comedy ad free. That's amazon.com slash comedy ad free. And catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And here's your prescription. I know just the pharmacy to get this filled. Who are you? A pharmacy benefit manager. A middleman your insurer uses to decide which medicines you can get, what you pay, and sometimes even which pharmacy you should go to. Why can't I go to a pharmacy in my neighborhood? Because I make more money when you go to a pharmacy I own. <laughs> no one should stand between you and your medicine. Visit phrma.org slash middleman to learn more. Paid for by Pharma. Warning, this podcast contains conspiracy, paranormal, and true crime cases. The nature of these cases may be gory, unsettling, or vulgar. Please be advised. Yo, 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 and welcome back to Creeps and Crimes Podcast. I'm Taylor. Oh my, and I'm Morgan <laughs> with a voice Is crack. Is she okay? Oh no. Oh no, 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 no. And welcome back to episode 43, right? Oh my god, it's 43. Oh my god. Oh my god, Valerie. Nikki's um, looking at us like, oh. yeah, we know. We don't have anything else. We don't have anything else to say, Nikki. Don't tell them our secret. We have an issue, and it's that our intro is getting really old. <laughs> yeah, we'll spice it up sometime. Um, first, before we begin, we want to apologize for last week's episode because we recorded the intro with the window open and. Knoxville's having a bit of a cicada problem. So problem. if you hear some it's a, static, it's a takeover. It's the cicada Armageddon takeover. That's really what you're hearing. <laughs> That's really it's not it's... static. It's not the speakers. No, you're. Um, I know it's going to probably annoy you guys. So I hope you caught on to it and just skipped through. Um, it ends after the intro. the intro. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's done after we shut the window. Uh, anyways, Morgan, what did you do this week? I went home. I mean, yeah. we're pre-recording this. So I'm going home this weekend. Okay. Um, I have a wedding. Oh, Aaron's cousin's getting married about an hour from home, further from here. So we got a little hall to go to, but. Okay, y'all just going for the weekend or? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll be staying with my parents. He'll get to hang out with Coda. Oh, so he's going to go crazy. Yeah, he'll go absolutely Go crazy, go stupid. (laughs) Go crazy. All right, what about you? I have no idea. I don't have any plans. And it's so amazing because it's the first time in forever that I don't have plans. Yes. So uh, I for sure have to do laundry. Um, I love those kind of weekends, though. Yeah, me too. And um, that's it. I want to go eat at this new restaurant and bar that opened up in Knoxville in Old City. What is it? It it, it looks amazing. It looks like a speakeasy oh, New York shit. bar. It is amazing looking. So. Shit. I've got to go check it out. I think it was called Brother Wolf, and it's an old city, so go check it out. Um, I'm going to post about it if I go, but I, I've got – well, if yeah, I go, when I go. Dope. Yeah. So um, that's all I've got planned. Morgan, uh, do I do I have any games or anything fun that we could do? We only had a two-minute intro, or maybe this is good for them since our last week was a 15-minute intro. Any games? Um, You're our game queen. I don't have any games. I don't have anything crazy to talk about, do I? Mm-hmm. Well, we just recorded yesterday, guys, so it's hard for us. I know. I'm sure nothing crazy, crazy happens. happens. 
I scared Logan in the middle of the night. Yeah, you can tell him that story. <laughs> okay, it's so, funny. Uh, I woke up. I've been waking up weirdly at like four and six mm-hmm. every single morning. Well, Logan had gotten up at four, and I, so I woke up with the sound of him like getting up to go to the restroom before he comes back to bed. And he was up, and I like just kind of stood on my feet. I don't really know why. I was just like, I need to get up. And then I realized it was four, so I was like, okay, well, then I'm just going to go pee when he's done, so I'm just going to stand at the end of the bed, which is in front of the doorway. Bad idea. <laughs> I would freak out. So, it's completely dark. He didn't turn on the lights when he was in the bathroom, so it's literally dark in the room, dark in the bathroom. He comes out of the corner, he's like, Gah! and it scared me to death, so I was like, what? Screaming <laughs> back at him, and um, he's like, why are you standing in the doorway at four in the morning in the pitch black right now, Taylor? And I was like, <laughs> I don't really even know. I just need to pee. That's hilarious. I had a dream last night um, about Marley, so I guess I'll tell it here, because yeah. it it's kind of funny. I texted her about it this morning. Um, we were in my brother's house and we were swimming and she just looked like so, so skinny. And I was like, what did you do? Like, like you look really skinny. And she goes, um, I've been eating Wendy's chili for breakfast, lunch and dinner. And oh. I'm like, oh, okay. And my mom's cooking us breakfast and she proceeds to pull out a Wendy's chili and just starts munching on it. And I was like... <laughs> Uh, so is that what I need to do? Yeah, so yeah, I texted like, so her and then she goes, oh shit, do I just need to be eating Wendy's chili? Yeah. I'm like, I guess. Maybe it's a secret. Maybe it is. the secret to weight loss. But wait, how did you see the Wendy's chili cup in your dream? It was like a red, like I saw the Wendy's pack. Like it was the red Wendy's. Or no, the yellow, white. The white. yellow ones. Oh, it was a red chili cup. Okay, so whenever I have dreams about chilies or think about chilies, I think about the yellow ones. Wendy's cup. Yeah, yellow, yellow Wendy's um, chili bowls. They're like they used to have so, so much old. yellow. Yeah, like are, is that not like bringing back a crazy memory? No, of yours? yeah, you're right. And I think their bags were yellow too at one point. Yeah, I literally think everything was yellow at one point. But I, I don't know what I I was thinking about the other day, and I was thinking about Wendy's chili. And it was, that's weird. I, I know. And I was like, oh, my God, didn't they used to be in a because I remember my my mom loves chili. Oh, my God. We me and Marley would fuck up Wendy's. Sorry. <laughs> we would mess up Wendy's chili like yeah. that. Like we were like we would we go all the time. Wendy's chili. We'd get onions, um, mustard uh, and cheese and sour cream in ours. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. So good. I could go for that. I think that sounds like something we need to do after this episode. But anyway, guys, um, <laughs> Yeah, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, that is the secret. That's it. That's it. That's one. Uh, we'll try it out and let you know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that was it. She thought it was funny, so that is I'll funny because it it's Marley. Oh, my God. Mar- Marley is such a key part of this podcast now because everybody that listens knows Sorry, sorry Marley. I-, I swear to God, we've got to get it on like a trucker's hat or something. <laughs> trucker's hat. <laughs> All right, fine, fine. Fine, whatever. I guess we'll do that. All right, guys, so while we have you here, follow us on Instagram at Creeps and Crimes Podcast, on Twitter at Creeps underscore Crimes, and on TikTok at Creeps and Crimes. You're up. Don't forget to check out our website, uh, creepsandcrimespodcast.com, and you can go on there to submit your creepy accounts, or if you have a suggestion for us, uh, also you can send those into Creeps and Crimes Podcast 
at gmail.com. So make sure that you send those in. We've said it last week. And so we're going to say it again. And we'll say it again. We have two stories that are great. And we need four more to get a creepy account done. So please, 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 your mamas, your cousins, your uncles, your next door neighbor, this random woman that you heard talking about on the bus in front of you, send them in. Please. Uh, Rate and pretty, review. Pretty, pretty, please. Rate yeah. and review. Five stars only. No bullshit. <laughs> um, before we start, though, I have to mention that I'm sitting here with a glass of water, and I look over, and Taylor has her <laughs> giant wine glass with water in it. I said, what is that? And she's like, sorry, I'm an alcoholic. I need to think I'm drinking wine. I need to get in character. Oh my god. Like, I gotta she's be She's drinking here. water out of a wine glass, guys. And not just a regular wine glass. It's her... Big one. My big red wine glass. Mm. Water is still tasty, though. <sighs> Butamus. All, All right. right. Jinx. Ugh. Jinx, you owe me a real glass of wine. You owe me... Um, Come in, Nikki. Tears, ginger ale. So if you're driving, throw that shit on cruise control. If you got a glass, pour that shit up. And let's get creepy. New voice, who that? Okay, if, if you don't know already in the intro, that was Nikki. That was Nikki. It's her first time ever actually talking in the mic willingly without us choking her and grabbing her and pulling her I to it. I did grab her and pull her to it. But <laughs> she still said it. Yeah. She did it. Yay. She did. Yay, Nikki. Oh, yay. Okay, so Morgan has been hyping up her story Oh, to my me. God. Don't do that to She's me. She's been hyping up her shit to I me. I haven't been hyping up. I said it's sick. Like, it's sickening. Like Yeah, so you know that's my favorite ever. Oh, I don't know if you guys saw, but we did a um, poll today, like a questionnaire kind of on our Instagram story, and that was awesome. We got to see what you guys like to drink, if you're team creep, team crime. Fuck you guys. (laughs) Peace, bitches. Everybody that writes in, though, and is like a real fan, they actually are team creep, though. So my team crime bitches be slacking on me. Mm -hmm. So, um, Uh yeah, y'all do. Sure. But uh, most... Well, it was like 50-50 on red white wine and white wine. Same with tequila and vodka. Yeah. Last I checked. right down the middle. And then we did scary or would you rather laugh? Like, would you rather be scared during our podcast or rather laugh at us? And the majority of you guys said laugh. I voted laugh. I put scared because I love being scared (laughs) to death. But I like laughing at the same time. I like like a good in-between. That's why I think I like like, and that's why we drink that so much because it's like the perfect amount of laughter and like Mm -hmm. scariness at the same time. All right. All right. Let me let me get rolling. Yeah, let's go. My story today um, is about a family called the Snedekers. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I don't I not that I don't care, but yeah, it's just how it is. Um, Without telling you the real name of this story, I'm going to save that for the end. But if you are like a scary movie guru, then you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about, probably after the first few minutes. So trigger warning before I begin, I'll be talking about dark entities, um, rape, necrophilia, and sodomy. So before I start, my sources are dreadcentral.com, terror29.com, livescience.com, exemplor.com, wikipedia.org, and chasingthefrog.com. So, the Snedeker family. They were a normal, happy family. And they consisted of parents, Alan and Carmen, and their four kids, Jennifer, Philip, Bradley, and Alan Jr. The family grew by one when their niece, Tammy, came to live with them. 
Tammy's parents at the time were going through a very bad divorce, and she had received a phone call from her Aunt Carmen saying, hey, I know things are going bad, so why don't you come live with us? And she did. So Alan and Carmen were your typical 1980s parents. They were fun, caring, loving, groovy, whatever you would picture like a happy family being. But then things took a turn for the worse. What every parent prays will never happen to their children happened to Alan and Carmen. Their oldest son, Philip, was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. He was a teenager. Money soon became tight because medical bills aren't cheap. We all know that. And Alan and Carmen made the decision to move the family to be closer to the doctors that were treating their son, Philip. So on June 30th, 1986, the family picked up and moved to 208 Meriden Avenue in Southington, Connecticut. Their budget was tight and they needed to rent, so they had found what appeared to be the perfect house. It was large enough for the five kids and the two adults, and the rent was affordable and it was in their price range. Like, it was a very nice house. You couldn't beat the price. The mistake they made here was not asking why the house was so affordable. The bedrooms upstairs were a bit small, so they needed to utilize the entire house to fit the entire family. The two oldest brothers, Philip and Bradley, they needed to share a room. But the only area in the house that could accommodate the two teenage boys was the basement. Nope. Nope. During move-in day, Alan, the dad, made a very startling discovery. While helping the boys move into their basement bedroom, he came across some things that weren't normal for a regular house. For starters, the basement was divided into about seven different rooms. They found embalming tables and a complete embalming tool set. Am I saying that right? Embalming. There's an emblem. (laughs) Sorry, Marley. It's embalming. Gotcha. What did you just say? Embalming. Oh, anyway, pause because that is the best thing I've ever. Anyway, um, yeah. So they found embalming tables and a complete embalming tool set. Alan also noticed mortuary equipment that was hid behind, like, building materials, like bricks and stuff, along with drawers full of eerie corpse photographs. What? After discovering this, the family went outside, and they had found a small graveyard in the backyard. But what Alan and Cameron didn't know initially is that the house that they had just moved into was once a mortuary known as the Hallahan Funeral Home. So despite uncovering the house's history, the Snedekers continued to move into the home regardless because of financial issues and all. They assumed that they could look past, like, the horrifying addition to the house. Like, I mean, they rented in and not knowing it. If I rented a house, picture, okay, let's pause here. Picture you rented this house and there was a funeral below it. Like a funeral home below it. I'd be like, pack it up. We're going but to Morgan's. But they didn't tell you. And it was like an old one from like 20 years ago. If I found it, get in the car. We're going to Morgan's house. I'd sue the shit out of them. I'm just saying. <laughs> landlord. I'd come to you and you tell me that. But. See ya. Anyway, so they assumed that they could look past all that. I definitely couldn't, but they had some financial struggles. So, yeah. Well, that was until the amount of people in the home grew from seven to nine. And the newest additions, well, they weren't quite human at all. Okay. They were entities, and dark entities at that. Philip was the first who spotted the two apparitions. One was very thin, with long black hair, black eyes, with high cheekbones. No. The other one had white hair, white eyes, and he wore a pinstripe tuxedo, and he always seemed to be, like, shuffling his feet. 
Absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely They were both not. males. No. Literally no. The oh my God. I have chills. Okay. The bedroom in the basement that the two boys were sharing was actually the casket display room. So where they held the funerals oh and displayed God. the body. And it was down the hall from the embalming room. At the same time, Philip, who was in the middle of undergoing radiation treatment, began to have some serious personality changes. He quickly became withdrawn and angry. He had violent outbursts, and then he began writing poetry, each poem with the same theme, necrophilia. For those who do not know what that is, I'm going to say it once and I ain't saying it again. Trigger warning. Yes. The textbook definition of necrophilia is sexual intercourse with or attraction to corpses, a.k.a. dead bodies. So he's writing poetry about it. Cool. Um, Philip continued acting out until his worst outburst got him sent away from the house. This is when he attacked his cousin Tammy, forcing himself on her with the intent, trigger warning, to rape her. After the attack, he was sent to a psychiatric facility where he was diagnosed with schizophrenia when he was describing to the doctors that it was the spirits making him do it. He stayed there for 45 days, and it seemed that his mental state had improved while he was away until he returned home. So since Philip was the first to experience the phenomena, his mother Carmen reached out to his oncologist about the possibility of visual side effects from his radiation. The oncologist was like, there is absolutely no chance of him having hallucinations or delusions with his treatment. We have never heard of it before. I'm assuming that they attached to him because he was the weakest one. Yeah, he's like the weakest of them. Right. Um, They would hear, the family would hear voices and sounds of hundreds of birds taking flight at once. And then Carmen began experiencing strange things too. Items disappearing in the house. Scents of rotted flesh and decay would fill throughout the house. The lights would flicker on and off. And then once Philip left... Carmen started to receive the absolute worst of it. When she would set the family dinner table, she would turn around only to see that all of the dishes had been put away. No, that. Oh, my God. I would so she lose pulled them back out mind. and then they would be put away again. Oh, my God. I'd be like, seriously? I would be like, all right, you want to set the table then? Yeah. Like, can you can you least- can you at least do this when I'm done with the dishwasher? Yeah. Like can you put, the dishes put that away? shit away. Why do you got to put away when I need them? Um, this is a quote from Carmen during an interview. She said, I know I set the table, but the dishes were never there. Another time while she was mopping the floor, the mop water turned bloody red. Another quote, the mop water was blood red. I mean, a deep, deep red. It made my skin crawl. It was so bad. I couldn't mop anymore because it was a rental property and I couldn't risk ruining the floors. Was it really red or in real life or was it like a vision? Do we know? She swears that it happened. So okay. in the movie, I, at the end, I go through like what the movie did and what the what the real story is. Right. I'll, yeah. Okay. Um, another time she was showering when she was pushed into the shower curtain and the curtain wrapped around her with the intent to strangle her. She said, yes, the shower curtain did wrap around my face so that I couldn't breathe. My niece had to come upstairs and rescue me. I couldn't have fallen into it as I was being pressed into the shower curtain behind my back. And then Carmen also came across the two apparitions, as well as the other family members in the house. This led to the kids leaving the lights on throughout the night because they were freaking terrified. Yeah, me too. 
But again, we're financial struggle family. So after seeing the high electric bill, their father went around the house and removed every single light bulb. <gasps> Can you imagine? I'd be like, put that the fuck back. That was one of my Fs. That was rude. That's what I would have been like. Yeah. Are you kidding me? I'd be like, Dad, I literally have a f- two apparitions walking around with me. One and the lights help me stripe. Like literally, mom was wrapped up in, in a, a shower, sh- two shower curtain. curtain. Are you serious? I don't know. All right, keep going. Sorry. So I would never have done that to my kids, but I guess the money's tight. Um, so we don't know in the situation. But I would things, love my husband. Yeah, me too. <laughs> things got even worse. Trigger warning again. When Carmen and Alan claimed that they were raped and sodomized by something in the house. <gasps> Things weren't getting better for the family. They were getting scratched, beaten, raped, and bruised by the entities in the house for the next two years. So the family invited two very famous paranormal investigators into their home. Our favorites, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Dun, dun, dun. Ed and Lorraine brought paranormal investigator John Zaffis with them along with a few others. The Warrens moved into the house for several weeks until they experienced everything that the Snedekers were claiming. During this time, the Warrens witnessed and experienced firsthand the damage that the entities could inflict. They encountered being slapped, beaten, and pushed and slammed to the floor. While communicating with the entities in the home, the Warrens were able to discover what happened in the mortuary. This communication revealed that the caretakers at the funeral home were necrophiliacs. <gasps> so that's why this is all happening. Oh my god, they abuse two dirty ass the dead people. bodies. Yeah. Would oh my god. See that's why I want to be cremated. Please and right? please don't. That's so sick. I can't even talk about it. Um yeah, no, it was on. really feeding fuel to the paranormal fire. So the Warrens carried out a full scale exorcism of the property on September 6, 1988, which cleared the space of all demonic entities according to the Warrens. And that is the true story of the family in the movie, The Haunting in Connecticut. Did you guys did you guys click it yet? I loved it. You know that no, yeah. I'm not done yet. But do you know yeah. like they know? Like do you think they yeah, know? They know. As soon no. as you said Ed and Lorraine, they probably were like, oh my God, I've seen it. Damn, I was hoping they'd get it like when I said Connecticut at the beginning. Anyway, fast forward, <laughs> Philip went into remission. He had a family, four kids, and he was a truck driver. In 2012, his cancer came back, and Philip died on January 9th in Johnson City, Tennessee. I had no idea about that. Uh-huh. How crazy uh-huh. is that? How crazy is that? Um, Carmen still claims to this day that she was not aware that the family was a mortuary prior to moving in. And this has caused a lot of controversy because the former owner claims that the family was fully informed of the situation prior to it being rented. Which brings me to the point that the entire movie and the entire and the entire Snedeker story is actually a big controversy in itself. We all know that based on a true story should be taken very, very lightly because Hollywood tends to add in some glitz and glam. And by that, I mean extra horror. Yeah. Um, so the haunting in Connecticut should be taken with a grain of salt. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert um, ahead if you have never watched the haunting in Connecticut. Um, turn this off if you plan on watching it if not then you can you can keep listening to me yeah. um 
If you have seen the movie, some things that didn't happen are the seances, for example. In the movie, they have a man named Jonah conduct numerous seances throughout the house. Well, this didn't happen. Also in the movie, Philip, who was named Matt, that's who his character was named, um, saw dead people with writing carved into their bodies, like bloody carvings. That also did not happen. Well, we mentioned the shower curtain incident with Carmen. In the movie, it was portrayed as the niece being suffocated by the shower curtain, which Carmen says that's not true. And the niece backs her up that it was my aunt Carmen. Yeah. Um, Matt, a.k.a. Philip, found bodies in the home during this movie. Or sorry, found bodies in the home during the movie, like in the walls. That also didn't happen. So Hollywood put the bodies in the walls to explain who was haunting the family and why. So they were basically trying to say like, well, since the bodies had never been properly laid to rest, right. their souls remained trapped in the home, struggling to get out and find peace. Got it. But there were no bodies in the walls. Um, and the movie ends by Matt, a.k.a. Philip, burning the house down. Again, this was Hollywood finding a cinematic way to like release the demons from the home. So it was strictly theatrical purposes. The house was never burnt down. And we know the truth is that the Warrens performed an exorcism on the entire property, which brought closure to those spirits. Um, Lorraine commented on the making of the movie during an interview, and she said, I was also told about scratching on the walls, blood and seances. That isn't the type of things that were occurring within, within the house at all. The movie is very, very loosely based on the actual investigation. The current owner, why can't I talk? The current owner of the house, Susan Trotta Smith, says the house is not haunted now and it never was haunted. That she's lived there for 10 years and says it's a wonderful home and that it's all Hollywood foolishness and the stories are all ludicrous and the family made it all up. Well, I think that's easy for you to say, Susan. Okay, Susan. Okay, Susan. Maybe if you lived there post like Susan, the Warrens cleansing the your house. Up? Yeah. The two like most amazing paranormal investigators and psychic mediums just came well psychic medium came into your home, cleansed it before you even got there. Right. And she's like, they're making it all up. Like, I've lived here for 10 years. It's a beautiful house. Oh, my house. God. Good for you, Susan. Good for you, Susan. <laughs> Good for you. Oh, it's always the Susans when we talk on here. We get, <laughs> I know. We get really fired up about that. I them. know. <laughs> um, another reason that people believe the story is a hoax is that when an author named Ray Garten, he was interviewing Ed and Lorraine Warren and the Seneca family at the same time for his book titled In a Dark Place, and he noticed that none of the stories were lining up. The parents, Carmen and Alan, were not telling the same story. Like, they were not on the same page. Apparently, apparently. And apparently. Um, this author went to Ed with the issue. And this is what Ed Warren said to him, which I think is absolute bullshit. Oh, they're crazy. You've got some of the story. Just use what works and make up the rest. Just make it up and make it scary. Okay, I totally don't believe this that he ever said that there, because there's no that way. well that loses his and his wife's credibility. Yeah, he would never say that. No, so I think this author is like absolute bullshit. But that's what a lot of people believe that this story is fake because this guy came out and said that no, I talked to Ed Warren and like he told who even me. Are you sir? Exactly. Like I hope you. I don't know. I'll read your book. I guess. Um, <laughs> like, but like, why would first. he tell? Why would he tell the guy to make it up rather than like straighten out the story? Right. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. And, like, I, I bet if there was any, like, ish, not 
I don't want to say like issues with the husband and the wives. I'm sure it was just different point of views more than right. anything. You know, like me yeah. and Logan are going to see something completely different. Even and I bet it's it 20 together. years after the incident. Yes. They're like, we don't want to ever talk about traumatized. this again. Yeah. And this, oh, there's things that are pushed down. There's right. stuff that like you use for like a coping mechanism. Like right. there's yeah. no way. So um, that's kind of it. So whether or not you choose to believe the story is up to you. But if Ed and Lorraine are involved, then that shit is real. It's you heard. Real. I mean, you, you, can't, <laughs> you can't even question them. Okay. And that concludes the story of the Snedeker family or the haunting in Connecticut. Woo! Woo! I believe them. I so believe them. I think yeah. Hollywood does um discredit a lot of families experiences because they take these movies and they make them so unbelievable yeah you know and like that i don't know if some shit happened to me okay or if hollywood took our story and made it into a movie it would be like they would make it crazy i know i mean it was already crazy but they would (laughs) could you imagine you're thinking of everything that i'm thinking about they call up you walk they're like hey we need to do an interview with you guys about room 204 if if you live in you walk 204 and you and you come across this podcast please call us building one yes please building one room 204 it's haunted by the way (laughs) yeah it is and we did that (laughs) that's our bad yeah my bad anyway that's all i have for you guys today oh i wish i could say i know i know all right guys all right Let's get on with my story. Actually, we're going to take a little quick intermission. Uh, so. Intermission. So, waiting room music. All right, Taylor, <laughs> what do you got for us? Oh, wait. First, I w- I'm going to put a poll out on Instagram. Um, if you guys want us to do Hannah Montana transition, since yeah. we don't have an ad at the moment, um, it'll be something like this. Ooh, yeah, uh, uh, oh, or. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't know. Um, we'll record Nikki doing them because she's got to get. Yeah. Oh, guys, what's a sad one? Oh God. No, no, it's not. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's uh, it's like a. Oh no. God. Okay. All right. Well, if you know it, send us a voice memo on Instagram. Of you doing it? Do it. Right now. All right. Okay. Let us know, though, if you, Sorry guys for would, that. if you guys would like that during our transitions. Yeah, I think I would like that. Me too. I think that's All right. what we have to what do. What do you got for us? What if that's what we did in season two? <laughs> Taylor really hyped up this story. So let's see what you got, girl. Yeah. <laughs> Shake it, ladies. <laughs> let's hear it. Okay, guys. So Five, six, <laughs> seven, eight. Go one, two, Okay, everybody. That's my cheer voice. I know. And it was, it really like took me back um, to our coaching days. <laughs> everybody that was in lip sync or Greek beat or Smokey's Howl just had like major PTSD issues. Yeah, they did. Sorry. Okay. So today my story came from a Facebook post. Oh. So I was laying in bed this morning and it was like 7.30 and I I didn't want to wake Logan up because he didn't have to be at work early to call a customer. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to let him sleep in. And so he was sleeping and I was trying to just find a story that was new that I hadn't really heard on a podcast at all or if in a long time. And I was just like, I gave up on TikTok. And so I got on Facebook and I was just like scrolling down my newsfeed and it was like the universe placed this 
perfect post on my timeline and it was by um, gold light behind it yeah it really was it was when i read it i was like thank you god (laughs) i was like literally (laughs) thank you god and it the post was by um true crime tease and it said um what is your favorite true crime case that scarred you so much that it's what got you into true crime and so all these people were t- saying like the craziest cases that they've ever heard and like things that just like scarred them. And you know, mine would be Diane Downs. Mm-hmm. And so I commented Diane Downs, but one I found was Bardstown, Kentucky. And I haven't yeah. heard this one in a while, but I do remember it um vaguely because I heard it on Crime Junkie podcast a long time ago in 2018. So I turned it on. I listened to it all day today. And then I listened to Unresolved Podcast. And so today I'm going to be covering the Bardstown, Kentucky true crime case. Okay. And I'm going to say it like that because there's a lot Serial to it. Serial killer. <laughs> so my sources are the Times Tribune, WDRB, WHAS 11, Wave Three Fox 61, USA Today, Crime Junkie Podcast, Kentucky.com, Oxygen, Kentucky Standard, WTVQ, Unresolved po- Podcast, AP News, Visit Bardstown.com, and Reddit, of course. Duh. Okay, so let's just hop right into it. Bardstown, Kentucky is about 45 minutes away from Louisville. It is a small town known for its bourbon. In fact, it's pegged as the bourbon capital of the world. And it's Kentucky's second oldest city. People say that it's one of the nicest cities to live in in Kentucky. No one expected that on May 25th, 2013, Bardsville would no longer be known for just its history in bourbon. This time, it's a true crime case or cases that would hit the news and always haunt its townspeople. Police officer Jason Ellis began getting ready for his evening slash early night shift, meaning he would call off around 2 a.m. and then be home by 2.30 a.m. So he was probably going in around 5 p.m. when most people were getting off from work. Every day when he would drive home, he would use the exact same route. So he kissed his wife, Amy, who was an elementary school teacher, and his two sons, goodbye. I know, right? And he headed out the door. Typically, Officer Ellis would bring his canine partner, Figo, with him for his shifts, but unfortunately, his canine car was in the shop at the time, so Figo was off duty for the night. It was just a regular night. There were just a few different calls that were not uncommon for regular nights like this. So there was a domestic violence report, and then there was a drunken disorderly call that was put in. Jason went and checked out the domestic violence report. It ended up being fine. He didn't have to arrest anybody or anything. So then he went over to the next report, the drunken disorderly. He ended up having to take this person to the hospital to get checked out before being booked in the county jail. And this man that he, that was the drunk dude, like hated Officer Ellis. He was like, this is so annoying that you're booking me. I'm not that drunk. And you know, you know how you are when you're drunk. yeah. Yeah. So he was just like laughing, making jokes with his buddy that was there that was on call the same night. Not on call. He was on duty. He was coming on duty because it was around 2 a.m. at this point. So Jason books the old man and he leaves. And like I said, it's 2 a.m. So he passes his buddy who's coming in for the next shift and they were like best friends. So Jason hops into his cruiser and leaves the county jail. He gets on his radio, calls off duty and begins his regular drive home on Bluegrass Parkway. 
As he's exiting this highway, he sees a massive pile of branches and sticks in the middle of the road, like literally blocking the entire road. So even though he was off duty, he pulled up to this pile, turned on his lights, got out of the car to see what it was. And as he grabs the first load to drag it to the side, shots ring out. And 33-year-old Officer Jason Ellis was shot multiple times in the head, chest, abdomen, and arms before falling over and bleeding out on the empty road at 2 in the morning. Oh, my God. That's worse than I thought you were going to say. Yeah, I know. Whenever me and Nikki were listening to it in the car, we were like, oh, Oh, because it's just not what you're expecting. I thought there was going to be a dead body I underneath the pile of sticks. That's exactly what yeah. I thought was going to happen. Nope. Way worse. Oh, no. Yeah. I liked him. Me too. So about 10 minutes after Officer Ellis had been shot, a man driving home from work from a local distillery and another car of two parents and their son, who were being Ubered home from the bar by their son, uh, see the police car blocking the road with its lights on, and they can't see the officer. So the man gets out of the car when he realizes that Officer Ellis was laying on the ground dead. They get out of their cars and they act super fast, using Jason's squad car to call an officer. They got over the radio and screamed, Officer down, Officer down, BG Parkway, emergency, no pulse, body temp cold, help, help. And you guys can listen to this recording. I'm going to try to link it in the show notes. It is chilling. It Like, I literally have chills talking about it. it. So... It's kind of, um, on on top of the fact that it's just chilling to hear, it's kind of like, I don't want to say annoying, but it's kind of like in the story that I covered last week. The pol- the dispatcher or the police that's on the radio, the officer that was on the radio wasn't being like proactive enough for me. Like they were like, what? Where are you? Who is it? Did you get hit by a tree? What are you talking about, branches? Like, they're they're not, like, getting the no. hint that, like, no, your officer is down. Like, we need you here. So, Officer Ellis was pronounced DOA um, by EMTs and local law enforcement on the scene. Uh, the only evidence that they had were the bullets, though, and there were two types of ammo used, meaning that he had been ambushed by two different shooters. Someone knew his routine. They knew that he would get out of the car and move the sticks because he was a good person. And they were there waiting for him. With this being the only information that investigators had, this case goes cold. That is, until a year later, on April 22nd, 2014, when a man receives a phone call from his daughter's school that she taught at, saying that she had failed to come into work that day and her daughter did did not show up for school at the high school. These women were 48-year-old Kathy Netherland, or Netherland, one of the two, and her 16-year-old daughter, Amanda. Kathy's father grabbed his other daughter, Kathy's sister, and drove to their house to check on them. But what he found was his daughter and his granddaughter murdered in their home. Kathy had been shot to death, and Amanda had been brutally beaten and shot, as if she was the main target. But both of the women had one wound in common. Both of their necks had been slit. Oh, my God. 911 is immediately called. (laughs) Sorry, major trigger warning for this entire story. 911 was immediately called, and both of the women were pronounced dead on the scene. Investigators launch an intense search of the home, and what they end up finding is chilling. They found nothing. 
Nothing was left in the home and nothing was taken from the home. So not a fingerprint, not a drop of blood, and they didn't steal anything. So the sole purpose of their deaths was because someone wanted to hurt those two women. Just like in Officer Jason Ellis's case, there is no evidence for police to work with. So they decided to think outside the box. The women lived near town, meaning that there were multiple stores around the streets that led to their home. Police requested all surveillance cameras within a certain range of their home and used the estimated time of death to watch the, the cars that entered and exited the area within that time frame. And somehow they were able to zero in on this one car. It was a black Chevy Impala that police were convinced either saw something or was involved. Police asked the public for help and even set up a reward, but nothing ever came from it. The only thing that they knew is that they had this car and a slight connection with Officer Ellis's case. That connection was Jason's wife, Amy Ellis, who was the elementary school teacher that I talked to you about. Well, Kathy worked at her exact same school, but that is literally all that they had. So of course, this case ends up going cold. So over a year passes and now it's July of 2015. The reason why this month is significant is because this is when the disappearance of mother of five, 35 year old Crystal Rogers happens. This name is typically where people begin to recognize this case. So if you guys know this name, you kind of know what I'm talking about, um, but I'm giving you the overall what the hell was going on in Bardstown, Kentucky at this time. So this is the primary case. So Crystal was currently living with her boyfriend, Brooks Huck, and their two-year-old son and her four other children from a previous relationship. On July 5th, Crystal's mother and father realized that they hadn't heard from their daughter in two days, which is completely out of character for her. They were a super tight family. They call and they call and they call and they finally get a hold of Brooks. So they're like, hey, um, we haven't been able to get a hold of Crystal. You know, like what's going on? And Brooks is like, oh, I thought she was with you this entire time. I haven't seen her since July 3rd. Brooks said that they had a troubled relationship and they were constantly arguing. And that night they had been ignoring each other because they got in a huge fight earlier that day. So he left the living room somewhere in the, you know, like earlier night. So I think that means like nine. So probably between nine and 10, he got up from the living room and went to bed. She stayed in the living room playing games on her phone, a.k.a. you, Morgan. Oh, my gosh. That is so me. I know. That's, when I read this, I was like, oh, okay. All right, Morgan. Oh, my gosh. So when he woke up the next morning, her and her car were gone. So he figured that he had just she had just gone to her cousin's house, which is where, what she would typically do when they would get in fights and she didn't want to sleep with him. So Crystal's parents were like, oh, hell no. And they immediately called the police to report their daughter missing. Within an hour of the report being filed, police find Crystal's car. It had been abandoned on the side of Bluegrass Parkway. It had a flat tire, the keys were in the ignition, and her phone and purse were inside. Her parents were adamant that their daughter would have never, ever pulled over on the side of a parkway, especially at night. She would have ridden that flat tire until the next gas station or well-lit exit. And this particular area that the car was found was 
extremely dark. Like, there's no lights around it. So they were like, yeah. literally, no. She would have r- rather, like, damaged the car than pull over. Same here. Yeah, me I too. I keep driving. Yeah, it freaked me out. So something was very wrong. And police are like, okay, there's too many red flags for us to let this go, especially a connection in the case. So police immediately launch an investigation to search for Crystal Rogers. They first stop at Crystal's cousin's house because that's where Brooks told them that he thought Crystal would be. Investigators begin asking Crystal's cousin about, you know, how many times would she come over in the, like, past three years? Like, how often was this happening? And their cousin is like, uh, she's only ever done that once. And when she did, all of her other kids were with their dad And so she brought her baby with her. She never would have left her baby with him alone, especially if they were fighting. So police are like, oh, my God, you're so right. Like, there's extreme foul play in this. She did not just get up and walk away. She would have never left her baby. I would have never left my baby. Even, like, even though he's my husband and, like, I love him so much. If I'm fighting, I'm taking the kid. I made it in my stomach for nine months. I'm taking it with me. Same. (laughs) Um, a so, bitch mine. Right. <laughs> so around this time, p- police were able to connect a white Buick to this case. It was like a sedan. So I couldn't find exactly how they found it in any specific reports, but most people on Reddit believe that a witness had ca- come forward and said that they saw the white sedan pull up to Crystal's car in the middle of the night when they were driving down the freeway. Also, there is a very, something very important that I haven't mentioned to you yet, and that is Brooke's brother. His name's Nick, and he's a police officer at the Bardstown Police Office, a.k.a. where Jason Ellis worked. Oh, shit. And now we have yet another connection to Officer Ellis's case. This connection, plus the odd behavior of Brooks, is the first good lead that officers have had in any of these cases. Let's go! When out of nowhere, five days after Crystal disappeared, the couple's shared home burns to the ground. Sus. Yeah. You blew it. Yeah, you blew your cover, man. Literally. Blew it. (laughs) So police took very few samples of the rubble, but to this day, nothing has ever been released about the findings in the home. This sends police officers in a full speed ahead mission to put Brooks behind bars. First, they request a polygraph from Brooks and it comes back inconclusive. That doesn't mean that he was caught lying. Um, it just is inconclusive. So next, they're like, all right, if we can't get anything from that, we're going to pull him in for a two-hour interview with the head detective and see if we can get anything from it. So, you know, they're playing it cool with him. Uh, everything's pretty routine until the end when he a- is asked to make a written statement. His phone rings and he's like, hey, can I take this call real fast? I'll just sit right here and take it. And the officer's like, yeah, whatever, go ahead. I'm sure the officer's thinking like, oh, he's just going to pick it up, tell them that he's in a fucking police interview, and then hang up the phone. Right. But no, it goes any way but that way. In fact, it's like the fakest conversation I've ever heard. It was a planned conversation. So I'm going to play it for you, Morgan, and um, I want you to explain it to them because it, it just blows my mind. Okay. All right. 
Okay, so we just listened to it. Go ahead. To me, it sounds like his brother's the cop, right? Yeah, his brother's on the phone. That his brother told him this is how they go. They go down. At the very end, mm-hmm. they're going to make you sign a witness statement. Right. Or whatever, a written statement, a not written a witness statement. statement. And I think they had it on a timer. He said, I'm going in. Mm-hmm. And that his brother called him. Right at the Right at the time, time. And he was like... In the phone call, you it seems like the brothers convincing him to you you got to leave right now. They're just they're gonna they're gonna put you in. They're they just put trying innocent to people to away yeah. all the time. Like you just need to get up and leave right now. And yeah, it sounds fake. So it's not on speakerphone, and that's kind of what the craziest part about it is. So, but so I don't know how to phrase this other than. Y'all know that I studied communication in college. And one of the things that I did a research project on was um, communication between like when you're in trouble, when you're lying um, or whenever it's like acting, it's a fake conversation. And what he's doing is he's repeating everything out loud. So the phone's not on speaker, right? but he's repeating out loud to the you know, detective that's in the room, exactly what his brother is saying. And like he's not even conversing with him. No, he's not. Con- he, they're not having a conversation. And yeah. it was so weird is right before the phone even out loud rings. He's like, can I get that? Yeah. I it's like that. as soon as it starts ringing, it wasn't he. It's like he knew it was happening at that exact time. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. So that. It's such a weird conversation. He's basically saying, like, you just ask me my questions and let me leave. Like, I, I know you guys are on my side. You know, like, I know we're brothers. We're family. But, you know, my brother knows more about this. He's a cop. And his buddy, literally, that's interviewing his brother at this point. So, literally, it's like Nick's boss is interviewing Nick's brother. Right. Nick's boss, or Detective Snow, is like, yo, um, have I not just told you this entire time that we're just trying to get more information about this? Right. Like, we're your friendly. We're not friendly. trying to book you right now. Yeah, like, he's, like, trying to play it cool. So, after this, investigators are now worried about one of their own, Nick. So, the FBI has to get involved. And they ask him to take a polygraph. He agrees. The polygraph comes back, and the results suggest that Nick is lying his ass off. Oh, shit. He failed it miserably. He stops helping his own police department and in the investigation at all, refusing to cooperate. Because of this, Nick was suspended from the police department. All of a sudden, police get a hit. Remember that white Buick that I mentioned earlier? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, guess who has one matching the exact description? Nick Gliss. No. Nick and Brooke's grandmother. Oh, 82-year-old grandmother. Unfortunately, crazy timing, actually. She sold it right after Crystal went missing. How convenient. And because of this, she did not directly get tied in with the case. She was able to practice her Fifth Amendment rights and not speak on the subject at all. Police believe that she sold it under the table in order to protect her grandsons because she knew it would connect them to this case. Okay, so let's fast forward a few months and investigators finally get enough evidence to name Brooks as the number one suspect on October 16th, 2015. So this is the first time that he's not just a POV. He is now an official suspect. That same day, Nick was fired from the police department. Well, in June of 2016, so this is... 
about a half a, a little over, not a year later, a little under a year later, um, in 2016, Bardstown is in full-blown shock when their own mayor terminates the employment of Captain and Assistant Chief of Bardstown Police Department, Thomas R. Robbie. Robbie was fired because he was caught destroying all documents and files relating to the drug task force cases and internal affair, affairs files on former and active police officers, unveiling this gigantic scandal within the Bardstown Police Department. Are they the smiley face killers? Uh, literally, maybe. So, Shit. don't worry. I'm not done. There's more, which means it gets fucking worse. On November 19th, 2016, Crystal Rogers' father, Tommy Ballard, was going hunting with on his property with his 12-year-old grandson, which is Crystal's son. Once they got into the field and all settled in, they realized that they left something back in the truck. So Tommy sent his grandson to go get it. This is no big deal. It's literally their land. So the kids knew it like the palm of their hand. You know what right. I mean? It was home to them. Right. So his grandson returns. He goes to the car. He returns to the place where he left his grandfather to find him dead. Oh, my God. Tommy Ballard was shot and killed by a single gunshot wound to the chest. Police were able to rule out the possibility of suicide or him being murdered by his grandson because the guns they brought had not even been fired yet that day and still had the safeties on him. There's no way he could have shot himself when his grandson was gone. In the months leading up to his murder, Tommy told anybody that would listen that he was being followed and watched. He was so concerned about this that he got cameras installed in his car and in his house. All the footage from the cameras have been taken as evidenced by investigators. However, nothing has ever been released to the public. All five of these murders are still open cases. And as of a few months ago, police said that they would be coming out with new evidence, but were still waiting. Holy shit. That is the end of that case. So now I want to talk about the conspiracies. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. So the basically. Face killers. <laughs> um, new new uh, conspiracy, everybody. So basically, I hop on Reddit, obviously. And there's a Facebook page, and I'm all over that shit. And basically, people are saying that basically Jason Ellis, Officer Ellis, mm -hmm. the first person who was murdered in all of this, found out about what was going on in, in the, the police. Department. Yeah, in the police department. And he unknowingly walked upon it and he had to be shot. And that's why they knew where he lived, when he'd be leaving work. They knew when he called off. They knew where he was because you know where your squad cars are. Yep. And they knew that he would be the only one. I mean, I'm sure that they literally knew, had someone following him, knew that he was going to get closer and then put the sticks out there in that time. Yep. So, number one. Well, how does Kathy and Samantha get involved with this then? Well, like I said, Kathy and Jason's wife worked at the same elementary school, but that's not the connection. The connection is that Jason and Amy had a son who was special needs, and Kathy was his special ed teacher. So maybe he over overheard something, told his teacher, and told his teacher. And someone found out about it, and they were targeted. Yep. Other people say that they could have heard something in town or, like, talk, and maybe they found out something or heard something that they weren't supposed to and just were in the wrong place at the wrong time and ended up getting murdered for it. Okay, now let's go to Crystal. 
Crystal's brother-in-law, not brother-in-law, they were just dating. So boyfriend's brother and her boyfriend, Brooks, were super tight. So Nick and Brooks were like like inseparable. They were always together. They knew every secret about each other. And Brooks wasn't a good guy. He was involved with drugs. So they were like, you know what? I bet Crystal came in on a conversation between Nick and Brooks Mm -hmm. and ended up getting murdered for it. Holy shit. Though I mean, the police department's up with something. Right. They're going to come down here and get Or us. they were involved in it, or she was involved in it, and was threatening to tell because he, she was mad because of this fight, yeah. and then got murdered for it. Yeah. And then, obviously, her father was on the tail of something. I mean, who is trained to shoot someone directly in the chest and kill them instantly? Right. Only law enforcement and, like, military officials. Like, exactly. <laughs> literally, I wouldn't know how to do that. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. Yeah, though that's the main conspiracy about it. But that Sorry. is the Bardstown, Kentucky conspiracy. I totally think that it's an inside. Oh, it was totally an inside corruption. One hundred percent. Something going on there. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Yeah. Oh, I loved it. I love that there's a conspiracy. What's I can get on Reddit? What's crazy to me is that um, people are like, no, there's literally no connection between any of these cases. And I'm like, how? Oh. All these people knew we were in the same circle. It's in a small town. I'm assuming right. it's a small town. Yeah, it is. And another thing is I'm like, all these people were like one degree away from each other. It's right. not like they like were all just close. just enough that yeah. you couldn't connect them, but right. like also like close that you enough could. that you could if, yeah. you, if you tried. It's kind of like the bus driver in the last case. Like yeah. it's just kind of just like that. Someone yeah. that you wouldn't ever really think was involved with it. But ended up being involved with it. It was a one degree like commonality that all these people had. Wow. Yeah. So I want to know when did they say they'd release? So they talked about it a few months ago and they said that they were waiting for like one more thing before they brought it to the public. But there is a Netflix show about not show a documentary on Crystal's case. That is the biggest one of all of them. But, um, she her case ties in everybody else's damn yeah so that is it that's, that's all i have so for my good. me do you have anything Mm-mm. all right just you know follow us write us review us yeah do all those things and we'll see you guys next, next week, week for, for episode, episode 44 oh i love it when two even numbers are beside each other right that match just looks so good it does look so good it looks so good oh, i love our instagram too so i've been obsessed with our instagram yeah go check us out we're like yeah. really like cool yeah we're like the coolest of the coolest cools all right thanks for tuning in love you bye i love you bye